You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Well, good morning. Uh, It's good to be with you as we continue our series on the irrational Jesus and this irrational kingdom that Jesus came to reveal. Uh, Some of the feedback from last week was really super interesting. Uh, Some folks were like, man, that was awesome. The whole magic trick that you showed just blew my mind. That was incredible. You know, some folks were like, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm comfortable talking about Jesus being irrational. And it seems like Jesus would be like, the most rational of us. Uh, and then there are others who say the sermon didn't make any sense. So I hope I'm going to come back next week and hope, hope you can tie some bows on some stuff. Uh, so I want to show you a video um, because either you're going to think this video is really cool. You're going to think this video is really confusing. Uh, and then some will think this video makes them very uncomfortable. It's family friendly. Don't go anywhere. Uh, but so you'll either dig it, not sure what to make of it, or it will make you feel um, unnerved. Let's check it out. So some of you will see that, hey, that's pretty cool. You know, that was unexpected. Some are saying, I don't, I don't know. I don't know about this. And then others are saying, like, that's just, it creeps me out to see eggs bouncing and bowling ball. The bowling ball should go down the stairs, not fly up in the air, right? It's interesting that we can all see the same video and have quite different reactions. And the same is true when we think about the kingdom of God, uh, because we want, we want this kingdom to be rational. We want this kingdom to make sense. We want this kingdom to fit into our own view of how things should be. I had an interesting comment this week uh, of someone who said, you know, preacher, uh, you talk about the kingdom of God being irrational and and outlandish and all these things. Um, I have enough chaos in my life. I need Jesus to bring me peace. I need Jesus to bring me some sanity and some order. And the good news is, Jesus does that. Uh, If you remember, a couple of weeks ago, I preached on the Gerasene demoniac, where Jesus goes opposite Galilee to a land that is very opposite where he was. I won't go through the whole thing. Uh, But at the end of this, this is man. Uh, He was naked. He was living in the the graveyard, and he was out of his mind. And uh, whether it was uh, a demonic possession or whether it was a biblical way of trying to make sense of mental illness, whatever the case may be, at the end of the story, he is clothed and he is sitting at the feet of Jesus and he has been healed. Jesus brings order to his life. And yet there is still this dance of rationale and peace with the irrational. If you remember the story, here he is sitting at Jesus' feet. He is calm, he is collected, he is healed. But then the rest of the people in the city 
freak out. It says that they were fearful. They've never seen him like this. And they ask Jesus to leave and to get out of town. So even in the balance of his peace and rationality and the order that has been established in his life, everyone else was dealing with chaos. They saw it as chaos. There's always, with Jesus, there always seems to be this dance between what we expect to be rational and then our unmet expectations with the irrational. And proof positive is our scripture lesson today. It's the Gospel of Luke, the 16th chapter. It's a verse that's not often preached on, uh, and you'll see why uh, in just a moment. It's the parable of the dishonest steward, or the dishonest manager. Luke chapter 16. It's on the screens, and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Then Jesus said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what will I do? Now that my master is taking the position away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. I've decided what I'm going to do. So that when I'm, uh, when I'm dismissed as a manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? And he answered, A hundred jugs of olive oil. So he said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it fifty. Then he asked another, How much, how much do you owe? And he replied, A hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill, And make it 80. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Sometimes I like to say it as a question. (laughs) Thanks be to God. What an interesting story. Uh, Super interesting story. Uh, This man's being fired and his boss says, I want a great account of what you're doing. Uh, And he decides to to give people a discount (laughs) uh, so that he might be welcomed home. The word home may be the the fulcrum of this story, or the focus, or the goal. Uh, he wants to be welcomed into people's homes. At the end of the story, uh, he is shrewd so that he is welcomed into eternal home. The word for home, or at least the management of your home, is called economy. The Greek word is oikonomia, and it's simply a means of organizing your home. However your home is organized is your oikonomia. And what we see in this story is two different economies coming face to face, head to head. Two different ways of oikonomia, of organizing your life. What's happening in this story is a transformation of economy. It starts with a worldly economy or mammon, M-A-M-M-O-N, mammon, which survives on the assumption that there isn't enough. It's a philosophy of scarcity. 
There's not enough to go around, so we have to get ours and we have to protect it. And um, uh, we can't be altruistic. We can't give away things. Um, there's, there's not enough. That's mammon. That is a worldly oikonomia. But what's happening is there's a transformation that takes place from mammon to manna. Manna. Do you remember the story when the ancient Israelites were in the desert and they found this stuff on the ground? And they literally said, what is this? And that's what manna means. What is it? God keeps for providing this stuff for us. We're not sure what it is, but we are thankful for it anyway. Mammon to manna. Manna is, is the understanding, whether we understand it up here or in here, that there is enough. If we trust and if God gives us a vision, there will always be enough if we're doing the work of God. And that's what's happening in this story. It's a transformation from manna, from mammon to manna. Or as Sam Wells puts it, Sam Wells wrote a book called Speaking the Truth. This is what he says about this story. He realizes the friends are more important than the money or even the job. He moves from mammon to manna, from an economy of scarcity and perpetual anxiety to an economy of abundance and limitless grace. In terms of being rational, this parable doesn't work. If you're only thinking about rational thought, that how can the master commend the servant for knocking money off of somebody's bill right before he's fired and out the door? Interesting. We're not, one of the things I love about this parable is that we're not exactly sure what's going on. Did, did this uh, manager uh, knock off money of the bill because he was actually charging too much? And since it, he was about to present the books, how much do you owe? A hundred? Yeah, it's not actually a hundred. It's fifty. So why don't you just take, take fifty off? That, that'd be great before I present the books to my boss. How much do you owe? A hundred? Yeah, it's actually eighty. I'm really sorry about that. So write down eighty. And then, um, Could he be someone who simply has authority and he wants to gain favor with people? He wants to gain their approval and authority, therefore he changes the bill. Does he have that kind of authority? We don't know. Now, the Rawl family has had experience with this. So, over Memorial Day weekend, we went down to Ponchatoula. Uh, Christie's grandfather had died, and we were there to celebrate uh, his life and attend his funeral mass. <clears throat> and we brought the family iPad uh, and put it in the van because we are super parents. And we said, here's, you can watch videos and play games and draw and uh, get out of our face. I'm kidding. That's not why we do that, sort of. So we, we, brought, the, we brought the family iPad so that they can uh, uh, entertain each other on the long drive down. Um, we normally turn off the cellular data on the iPad where it's only Wi-Fi. But someone... had turned the cellular data on. So uh, we went down, we came back, no problem, it's all great. Uh, Until about a month and a half later, when we got the bill from AT&T, which was $826. So we we said this thing, look at this, and after throwing up a little, uh, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do with this? You know, so we we call AT&T, and uh, the first person we talked to is like, tell you what I'm going to do. I'll take 10% off. That's still about 700 shekels, my man. 
Okay, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll talk to my manager. They didn't, I don't know why I'm making that voice. They're not like mobsters. I'm sorry. So, <laughs> give you an offer you can't refuse. Yeah. So, so it, it goes up the chain. Like sometimes you have to manage up. You know what I'm saying? So we managed up to like the next tier of, of managers. And that guy was like, all right, I'll tell you what I, I'll tell you what I can do. I can, knock, I can knock 30% off of that. You know, really sorry. Because we're like, hey, we're good customers. We've never had anything in, uh, contested. You know, we've been, you know, forever AT&T customers. I'll take 30% off. I'm like, ah. Now, it's funny because if I were answering the phone, I'm like, great, thank you so much. I'm so sorry to bother you. 30%, that's so great. And Christy's like, nope. <laughs> Try again. So it goes on and on up until it goes up to the, I don't know what tier it is, but it's a real good tier. Because the guy that was on the phone that last time, he goes, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll reorganize your plan, which would then negate the charge altogether. Right? So, oh, well, that's, that's lovely. <laughs> Thanks. I said, I'm so sorry. You know, we didn't know it was on and blah, blah, blah. He goes, no problem. You know, they should have organized it this way anyway from the beginning. Reorganize it. Boom. Disappear. And then when I read the story, I'm like, man, to have that kind of power as a manager to say, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to negate the whole thing. You, you owe nothing. You know, that kind of a thing. I need to get over Joe Pesci. I'm sorry. I won't do that again. Jeez. Um, is this the kind of power that this manager has? Have We don't know in this story. We don't know if uh, he really has the authority to do it. We don't know if the bill is actually higher than it's supposed to be, which is why he said, I know it says 100, make it 50 real quick because the boss is coming. We don't know. What we do know is that the master commended him for doing it. And as he says at the end, good job because you're actually beginning to invest in what matters. You're investing in people. You're not investing in their debts. You're investing in them personally. This is one of the reasons why the kingdom of God, this kingdom that Jesus is expressing, seems irrational. Because what we don't understand is what's happening in the story is a transformation from mammon to manna. And once we understand that, that he's no longer working with a worldly economy, but an economy of God in which God invests in people, not things, the kingdom starts to make at least a little more sense. If we're not there, if we can't make that transition, if we can't see what's going on in that story, Jesus seems to make little sense. Because Jesus says things like, the last shall be first. Well, shouldn't the first be first? (laughs) Jesus says, blessed are the poor. But I thought the wealthy were the ones who were blessed by God. Jesus tells parables about, like, for example, the parable of the vineyard, where a guy, uh, a master, I guess it's a guy, a master uh, hires people early in the day, and then later in the day, and then later in the day, later in the day, pays them all the same day's wage. Um, And the folks who've been working all day in the field, uh, they see the people who were hired last get the same day's wage. So the people in the back of the line who've been there all day... Uh, get really excited, like, sweet, you know, we're going to get at least, like, time and a half. This is amazing. And they get up, and they get the same day's wage, and it really hacks them off. And I love what the master says. He goes, are you envious because I am gracious? In other words, this parable doesn't make sense if we're thinking about mammon and a worldly economy. If we lean into manna and the abundance of God, we begin to see that this parable isn't about the money, it's about having the opportunity to work for God. 
In other words, if we're really in the field doing what we need to do for the love of God and love of neighbor, we are actually sad that people are entering in later. We want everyone in at the beginning of the day. Not so that we all do the same amount of work, but we're actually sad that the folks didn't get an opportunity to experience the same thing that we did. It's not about the money that they get paid the same day's wage. It's about the beauty of the work of God. It's not a prison sentence. There's beauty in being in the, a, a laborer with God. There is beauty in laboring with God. That's the point of that parable. Not that God uh, is an ism or follows some kind of political ism where he pays everybody the same. That is not the, it's the beauty of doing the work of God. Are you envious because I am gracious? What is he gracious with? The, the work, calling people into the vineyard. That is what he is gracious with. This kingdom shocks us until it has captured us. This kingdom shocks us until our economy, our oikonomia, our household changes. This kingdom seems irrational until it is we who have received the grace, until it is we who have received healing. It seems irrational to the crowd who was there, but not to the garrison who had received healing. To him, it was order and peace and stability. To everyone else who didn't understand what Jesus was doing, it looked like chaos and they were fearful. This kingdom doesn't make sense until it captures who we are. Until we change households. Until we put some things down in order to invest in people. Because God is a people investor. God invests in people and loves people, and calls people to transform. When we get to this place, the kingdom makes much more sense. Until I turn it on its head next week. You're welcome. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, be our vision, our great God in the highest heaven, the one who walks with us through Christ. Give us the vision to see your kingdom. Help us to understand that sometimes this kingdom seems irrational until it has captured us, until it has changed us. And then when we hear words like, the last shall be first, we see how beautiful it is. Father, give us this vision this week as we go out into the world. Don't make us more sensible, Father, but help us to make sense of you. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.